pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear for I am in the place of God. For am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Please pray with me. Dear Jesus, we love you today, and we thank you for the word that you've given us. I pray that you'd be with Brian as he speaks. Please bless him and uh, give him your truth and a boldness to proclaim it. Lord, I pray that you'd fill us with your spirit, fill this place with your spirit, and soften our hearts to not only receive your word, but to go and live accordingly. Um, Help us to be wise and to be humble as we listen this morning. Jesus, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. I want to reiterate again just the announcement about baptism. <clears throat> that if you have not done that, I just want to invite you for, uh, to do that if you would like to. Um, we will have a shortened service here, and then we'll just walk across the street to Zuma and baptize people. So if that's something you'd like to do, I just encourage you, challenge you to, uh, to do that as a public proclamation that you want to follow Jesus Christ. <clears throat> this morning, <clears throat> excuse me, this morning we will continue just our very short two-part series on the life of Joseph. And this morning, <clears throat> excuse me, I want to talk to you about how God can use the hurtful things in your life to bring good into your life. We're going to look at the story of Joseph and how it tells us in in great detail the story about Joseph and how God can use really painful things, painful situations in your life and turn it into something that has eternal value. The Bible never teaches that evil or sin or darkness is good, but what it does teach is that if people mean something for evil, God can turn it to good. That, that message of the Bible can literally and dramatically change your life. That God can turn something that people mean for evil, and God can orchestrate and move it around and have it be something of value and good in your life. <clears throat> Just a preview, excuse me, of the life of Joseph. If you remember, we just looked at one aspect of it last week. But Joseph was so hated by his brothers, they literally wanted to kill him. And they would have killed him, except for one brother who said, we can't do this, we can't murder our brother. And so they throw him in a pit, sell him into slavery, travels for a couple weeks um, on the slave route to Egypt. He is purchased by an Egyptian official 
is accused of raping the official's wife while maintaining his innocence. He is thrown in prison for approximately 10 to 13 years. And then he is raised up again when he interprets the dream of a pharaoh and is lifted back up to a place of power. So he goes from the pit to the palace to prison and back to a palace again. One of the biggest mistakes that all of us can make in our lives is just continually looking and living our lives at a surface level and missing and not seeing the way God actually wants to work in your life. There can be negative things, there can be hurtful things that happen in our lives. But when you understand that God literally has His hand upon your life, He can turn that into something good. <clears throat> we see that in many places in the Bible. <clears throat> Excuse me. One well-known verse from Jeremiah 29 says this. 29.11 says this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. The context of that <clears throat> is significant. The context of that is that the Israelites will soon be in slavery in Babylon. Jeremiah 29.11 I was... Um, this isn't hugely significant, but last night I was studying. I had this brand new Bible. Very excited. I got this a couple days ago. And um, I was looking for Jeremiah, and it was late last night. This has never happened to me before. I could not find Jeremiah 29. And so I said, okay, I'll go to 40 and work my way backwards. And I can figure this out. It took me like three tries. And eventually what I figured out is that my Bible actually is missing... Like 12 chapters. <laughs> it goes from Jeremiah 13 to 37. So I'm returning my Bible. Never before in my life has that happened. Just, it's gone. So look, I had to write it down, but Jeremiah 29.11 is there for you. Hopefully that's, who knows what else I'll find, but my Bible is missing a chunk. The point, though, is is that when you look at the life of Joseph, it tells just a real-life story about a family that's extremely dysfunctional. There's bitterness, there's hatred, there's jealousy. And it ends up to the point where the brother is sold into slavery, ends up in jail for something he did not do. And this morning, what I want us to see from this story is that I know all of us this morning have had hurtful things in our life, have had things done to us that cause, that cause real hurt. But I want you to know that if you are a follower of Jesus, that God, all throughout the Bible, God says He has His hand upon your life and that He wants to turn things to good for you. If you have your Bible, then turn to the end of Genesis, Genesis chapter 50, and we will look at the story of how God can turn bad things, hurtful things, into good things in your life. It's a story about reconciliation. 
as the story goes, we know there is a famine in the land, a worldwide famine. And Jacob sends his sons back to Egypt to buy food so people don't die. They finally um, recognize it's Joseph. Joseph introduces himself. And eventually, as the story goes, Jacob brings his whole family back to Egypt. And this is nearing, this is just after Jacob had died and nearing the end of Joseph's life. And so what happens then, and here's the story Joel read. I won't read it all again, but just a couple highlights. Verse 15 says, When Joseph's brothers saw that the father was dead, he said to them, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay back all the evil we did to him. In the very beginning here, we see steps of what it looks like to reconcile with people who have hurt us. And we're not going to spend most of our time this morning looking specifically at the details of reconciliation, but more the bigger picture of how God can use hurtful things in your life and turn them to good. But here's just some, some observations from the brothers. So here's what happens. They make up this story that their dad, Joseph, wrote this letter. And basically the, the letter would say something like, Hey, Joseph, dad wrote this letter and said, You need to be nice to us now. Just because he's dead, you still have to be nice to us. They are worried that he's going to take revenge. And so just one, one vital element. If you have a relationship that needs reconciliation, one vital element we see here is repentance. And here's what we see in the lives of the, of the brothers. Verse 17 says this, to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. He repeats it again. And now please forgive the transgressions of your servants. And so the brothers recognized that what they had done to Joseph was evil. They didn't say it was a little mistake. They didn't say um, we just kind of lost track of what we were doing. They didn't say it was the gang mentality fault. They just said, hey, what we did was really, really dark and evil. They, they saw it for what it was. And they confessed it and they were honest about it. The thing that's significant about this is that this is not the first time. This is not the first time that, that there was um, an understanding of what was going on. But there is a depth to it here. Joseph responds by weeping. His brothers come to him and fall before him and say, Behold, we are your servants. And so they, they had done this really dark, evil thing to Joseph. But as God was moving in their hearts, these are the, the brothers, excuse me, the sons of Jacob. And they come to that point where they want to confess and have reconciliation. <clears throat> And so this morning, we're going to focus just on three things that Joseph does in response, okay? And the, these come originally from a guy, a guy named Derek Kidner, an old guy from a long time ago. And here's what he says. I'm just going to read just very briefly what he said. Each sentence in Joseph's threefold reply is a pinnacle of Old Testament and New Testament faith. Joseph is going to reply 
by saying three things. And these are things that you can, like, you can build your life on this. If you want something true and stable and real to build your life on for the rest of your life, you can build your life on the three things that Joseph says in response. And those come in verse 19, 20, and 21. And here's what Derek Kidner said. He says, number one, to leave all the writings, to leave all the writings of one's wrongs to God. Number two, to see his providence, to see God's providence in man's malice. And number three, to repay evil not only with forgiveness, but with also practical affection. All right, so that's Derek Kinner, and that's where just the three main points come from. So three points, three things of, of a heart that has been changed by grace. So number one, and I'll explain these. Number one, stop acting like God to people who have done wrong to you. Stop acting like God to the people who have done wrong for you. Number one. Number two, adopt God's perspective. People can do things that intentionally hurt you, but God can turn it into good. Number one, stop acting like God to people who have hurt you. Number two, adopt God's perspective. And then number three, practice God's love with practical kindness. Practice God's love with practical kindness. So, we'll spend a few minutes looking at each one this morning. Number one, stop acting like God to people who have done wrong to you. Joseph says this, verse 19, But Joseph said to his brothers, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God. Don't play God with people who have done wrong to you. Remove yourself from the throne Remove yourself from that place that only God should be. Stop playing God to people who have hurt you. And we do that in many different ways today. All right? And so I'll just give you a few things that I thought of this week of how we pretend or play God to people who have hurt us. All right? Number one, and these are just familiar things. These, are not, these aren't new things necessarily, but here's how we do this. Number one, we hold on to grudges, or we, we create a grudge. We use bitterness, blame, guilt, shame to hurt back people who have hurt us. And you keep pushing until you've hurt people back to the same degree that they've hurt you. We can use silent grudges. You can use silence to punish people who have hurt you. You withdraw relationally. You manip- manipulate people with your silence. and You break away and you disconnect from people to get back, to hurt them the same way that they've hurt you. You can use loud grudges. You can connect with people and complain with them and gossip with them about how the person has hurt you, only driving down deeper the deep roots of holding a grudge. You anchor grudges deep in your heart when you communicate and you share with people with the intent of malice, of hurting people, so you can get back at them. This is specifically relevant for people who are married. When your spouse has done something to hurt you, 
You can get back with silence. You can get back by gossiping with your friends, women with other female friends, and men with their guy friends about how their spouses hurt each other. And it just creates a deep hold within your heart of holding a grudge. That's a passive way. An active way is active retaliation of getting people back. You've hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. And we can be very skilled at this, very creative at getting back at people who hurt us. Joseph says, I'm not God. Remove yourself from that place of God. So one way we do that is we hold a grudge, silent grudges, loud grudges, to retaliation. We can also do that, play the place of God by acting as if we are the moral authority. The longer you're a Christian, the more skilled you become at this. Taking the moral high ground, finding verses in your Bible, quoting verses to people who have hurt you, and acting as if you're God to that person, like it's your job to fix them. Finding just the right Bible, for, the, the right Bible verse to support your position to get back at somebody. We... We are all good at this, is acting as if we are God to people who have hurt us. And Joseph says, I'm not God. It's not my place. Another example, just from, from uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. Here's another way that we, we play God. And this isn't directly related to interpersonal relationships, but just a way that we hold on to power and control of our lives. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, talks about worry and anxiety. We grab a hold of power and control and act like God, like we know best. And think about, think about how much time and energy we waste on worrying about things that we have no control over. You have no control over people who have done things to hurt you. Don't worry about things that you have no control over. Anxiety and worry often take the place of God in our lives. Joseph says, Do not fear, my brothers. I'm not God. I'm not going to seek revenge. I'm not going to retaliate. Let's just look for just a couple of minutes because this is just so significant. Um, if you have your Bible, turn to a couple of places with me and highlight this, underline this. Matthew chapter 6. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 6, verse 15 says this. But if you do not forgive the other trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's from the words of Jesus. Holding on to a grudge. If you hold on to a grudge and you won't forgive people, Jesus says right here, his own words, that neither will God forgive you. We cannot be grudge-holding people. We've got to be a forgiving people. Luke 17, another place where Jesus speaks about this. This is even a little bit more intense. 
Luke 17, verse 3 says this. Pay attention to yourself. Not the person that's hurt you. Pay attention to yourself. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times and says, repent, saying, I repent, saying, I'm sorry, you must forgive him. The life of a believer is forgiveness. It is not holding a grudge. And just for some sake of clarity here, when Jesus says, if your brother sins, rebuke him, Jesus is not talking about leaving your dirty socks on the floor and rebuking your brother, your roommate, your spouse, your friend. All right? He's talking about a pattern of sin in your life or serious sins. Serious things that we rebuke. We don't go around confronting each other over ridiculous, silly little things. And I'll show you why. I'll give you a Bible verse to, sh- to prove my point. So Jesus clearly says, hey, you know what, friends? People are going to hurt you. People are going to say things that are going to hurt your feelings. People are going to do things that hurt you. Wives are going to hurt husbands. Husbands are going to hurt their spouses. Boyfriends, girlfriends, friends, employees, roommates, you are going to hurt each other. The hallmark, the quality of a life that's been changed by grace is you forgive people. You do not hold on to grudges. Paul elaborates. Just a couple more places because it's so important. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. We'll quickly turn there. Romans 12, 19. says this. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. It is not your place to play God and seek revenge, to seek retaliation. The Bible clearly says right here, God will take care of that. The people that have hurt you, God will take care of that. That is not your place It is never your place to seek vengeance to people that have hurt you. The Apostle Peter elaborates too, and this is just the hallmark verse of this. 1 Peter, last place we'll turn to. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Write this down. Memorize this this week. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 says this. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You're not seeking retaliation. You're not holding grudges. Your love covers sins. You're not calling people out all the time. You're not, you're not on, a, on a hunt looking for people's flaws. You're not calling people out. Love covers a multitude of sins. That means multitude is not one, it's not two, it's not three, it's not ten. It's a whole, whole, whole bunch of sins that love covers. That's what it means when a life that has been changed. And Joseph, listen, here's the reality. Joseph is not talking about something where his brothers said something mean. You hurt my feelings. Okay? Well, that's, that's what happens today. No, they wanted to kill him. Okay? 
probably true that none of you this morning have had a brother or sister that have wanted to kill you or thrown you in prison or sold you as a slave and shipped you off to Mexico. All right? That's what happened to Joseph. And he says, I'm not God. I'm not going to hold a grudge against you. Listen, in all honesty and sincerity, if I could persuade you and press this into your heart by holding a grudge, it's a root of bitterness in your life that will consume you. And it will keep consuming. It will keep, it will not let go of your life. You've got to learn to forgive people that have hurt you. And I know that this, there's layers of depth to this. You, some of you have um, homes of brokenness, of addictions, of alcohol, of divorce, where moms or dads have seriously hurt you, where there's been abuse, whether it's physical or sexual or emotional. I'm not talking about your roommate saying something mean to you in the morning. I'm talking about deep things that scar your life. You cannot hold on to a grudge. It will consume you and destroy your life. Number one thing we learn from Joseph is he does not play God with people who have hurt him. Number two, you've got to adopt God's perspective. Here's what he says. Chapter 20. As for you, you meant it evil against me, but God meant it for good and I think I, I'm going to grab the, the handout. If you have this, I just want to read a couple different translations. You can build your life on this verse. The message says this, Don't you see? You planned evil against me. But God used those same plans, those evil plans, for my good. NIV, You intended harm for me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. New King James, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about it as it is this day. New Living Translation, as far as I'm concerned, God turned into good what you mean for evil. That is a theological, a biblical truth that needs to sink into your life, that needs to go deep into your life. People mean things to hurt, that are hurtful for evil, but God can use it and change it. The warning here is against self-pity. The warning is against self-pity that can become a pattern in your life of blaming God, of blaming other people, of not seeing things from the right perspective, of just having this myopic view of life instead of trying to adopt God's perspective that He has His hand on your life and that He can turn whatever bad thing has happened in your past into something profitable, into something good, into something that has eternal value. We can get discouraged we can get frustrated because of our past and how it has a hold of us. 
But when you gain God's perspective, you can get clarity and you can begin to grow in your understanding of how God wants to use it. I was thinking, um, I don't know, 10 years ago or so, I was just finishing my first year of seminary. And Chase was a brand new baby. It was summertime. And I, I was taking my last Hebrew class. I had to take three classes of Hebrew. My third and final class, it was translating parts of Genesis. And it was difficult. I was also at the same time taking beginning Greek. And we had a brand new baby. And I thought, I can handle this. I'm going to work really hard, and I'm going to do this. And I, I failed. I could not do it. And I was so discouraged um, and so frustrated, and I had this myopic view of my life that I was a failure, that I couldn't do this. I had the wrong perspective. And looking back at it now, honestly, I'm like, I'm such an idiot for worrying and getting so worked up about it. But at that time, here's the danger of having a, a valley-like focus. You're just stuck in these details, and you can't see God's perspective. And it was just humbling. You know what it did? It broke my pride. No, you can't do it. In fact, your priorities are totally wrong. Karen is home with a brand new baby. Forget Greek, and here's what I did. After realizing God breaking my pride, you can't do it. Drop Greek finish Hebrew, and be home with Karen and Chase, who's a newborn baby. Really, how, how important is Greek when you can just drop it and do it later? Chase is a newborn baby once. It was misplaced priorities, but I was in foolishness, discouraged and frustrated and lost perspective. You've got to understand that God can use negative things in your life. Some of you... Um, are in school, I know, this morning, and you're getting close to finishing up the semester, you might try your very best, and you might fail. You might try your very best and get straight A's and get a scholarship and go go to grad school and do all these amazing things. But here's the thing that's most important about your life. Doing your best is important at school, at work, whatever. Always working hard unto the Lord. But if things don't go the way you hoped, you've got to know that God has His hand upon your life. And He can work that for good. Don't turn to self-pity. Don't turn to shame or embarrassment or guilt or control or worry or anxiety. I have my life all planned out. Well, it probably won't go the way you think. But God's hand is on your life. I'm going to marry this guy. I'm going to marry this girl. I've got it all planned out. Well, he might break up with you. God's hand is on your life. She might break up with you. It's okay. God's hand is on your life. God is working in your life. People's lives get wrecked and totally off course because you forget that God's hand is on your life, that He is in control. This horrible, horrible situation, the life of Joseph, God is in complete control, and he does it. The the purpose, and we see in in the story of Genesis, the purpose of it is that he, being brought up into this place of leadership, actually saves Jacob and his family, and saves 
um, what will one day be the nation of Israel because of this famine. There's a worldwide famine. People are starving to death. And Joseph, in, if you remember the story, interprets the dream of Pharaoh, the seven years of, of plenty and seven years of famine. God has his hand on the life of Joseph to redeem and to save his people. You've got to remember that God can turn bad things in your life. He can use those things to bring good things, things of value in your life, things that will have eternal value in your life. God allows situations that can be very painful in your life, but you've got to gain His perspective of how much He loves you and how much He wants to bless you and prosper you by trusting Him. I'm going to read it one last time, then we're going to go on. Verse 20 says this, You meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good. And God is more powerful than the people that hurt you. And here's why. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive. God could be allowing something right now in your life that's very negative, very hurtful, that down the road can have amazing Amazing reward and value. It can, be as, it can be as painful as losing somebody you love, of losing a parent, of losing a spouse, of losing a child. These are not superficial, shallow things. This is not... Joseph is not about happy Christianity and life is great all the time. This is to the soul deep core issues of life that God promises, I have my hand upon you. Trust me, I am sovereign, I am in control. And whatever issue you're going through in your life right now, you've got to know that his hand is upon you and you've got to trust him. Here's how he shows it. Verse 21 then says this. He's, Joseph says to his brothers, So do not fear. So I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. A life that has been changed by the gospel, a life that has been changed by grace, not only forgives, but shows practical love, shows real love with kindness. The last place we're going to turn, Luke, and I'll finish up with, with this. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, verse 32 says this. Luke chapter 6, verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those to whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But Jesus says this, love your enemies. Love people who have hurt you. And do good, and do good to them. And lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. 
That is radical New Testament Christianity truth. That creates an alternative community. When believers, when you and I live this out, we will create an alternative community. We will have relationships. As Peter says, where love covers a multitude of sins. Of course it's easy to love people that are nice to you. You don't need Jesus to do that. Anybody can do that. You need a heart transformation to love people who hurt you. And that's where Joseph points to. That's where his life points to. Joseph's life is an example to us of a man who trusts God, of a man who clearly saw that God had his hand upon his life and he was saved and rescued so that he could rescue other people. The life of Joseph, Joseph points to Jesus in the same way that Joseph was mistreated, Jesus was mistreated. He was condemned, he was ridiculed, he was crucified. An innocent man, just like Joseph. An innocent man who was treated cruelly and put to death for nothing that he did wrong. But he did that in the same way that Joseph did, to rescue us. Jesus did that, an innocent man, to rescue sinners because he loves fallen people. That's the connection we have to make today. That that's who Jesus is. That's what he did for you so that you can live out what Joseph did. Not on your own work, but a life that's in Christ. Not in your own strength, not in your own willpower, not in your own, I'm going to try really hard today. Trying really hard never works. It's trusting in Christ. Trusting in His Spirit to empower you to live this out. To say, on my own strength, I'm a complete failure and I cannot love people that hurt me. I cannot be kind to people who say things that are mean to me. But when you renew your heart, renew your understanding of who you are in Christ, and that Christ living in you, you can do that. You can be Jesus to people who are mean to you, that have hurt you. To your mom or your dad, who have created havoc in your family. You can love them. You can forgive them. You can forget people from that person from high school that you're still holding on to a grudge. You can forgive them because Christ has changed your life this morning. We're going to have communion this morning. Lockwood's going to come up with the worship team. And I just want you to meditate upon that truth that Jesus, while being innocent, came to rescue you so that you can live a life worthy of following in His footsteps. And uh, Tony, I think we're going to I think we're going to bring up the bread and the juice. And um, I just want you, during the first song, just take your time and just meditate. I think, Tony, can you put up that verse for just a second? Um, we'll meditate. And then after Tony plays the song, or Lockwood plays the song through once, and then just invite you to come up and participate in communion. And just renew your heart in the gospel and the grace of what Jesus has done for you.